Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. If you're taking notes, the title of my message today is Prospering Behind Enemy Lines. If you're taking notes, Prospering Behind Enemy Lines. Today we're going to conclude our series, The Will to Prosper. And as I've explained in the last three Sundays, um, I've had this impression in my heart, which I believe is from God, that this word uh, prosper uh, is a word that has been almost eliminated from our churches for, in many, time, in many uh, circumstances, good reason, because it's a word that has been abused, is a word that has been used and misused, uh, sometimes for self-ambition, sometimes for uh, people taking advantage of, of the word to uh, t- try to exact money from people. And, and then on the other side, you know, you have uh, this, this group that says, hey, that's not what the gospel is. So we need to stop with this prosperity gospel and sticking that label into that kind of conversation kind of eliminated the word from normal Christian life. But it's, I was doing an etymology study on, on the word. Prosperity uh, uh, defines prosperity. It defines in the same way it defines the will of God for our lives. It's not that it is the will of God for us to prosper. It's that the will of God is defining the same way as prosperity is defined. It's a very interesting thing for us to understand because there's a way for us to capture this message that is not unhealthy. So that has been the goal of this series, and it's something that we're going to focus on in the the year of 2024 because biblical prosperity is not like the the world's vision of prosperity. If If you ask anyone who's not of a Christian background, what is the definition of prosperity? They'll say financial success. More finances for me. More money for me. But biblical, biblical prosperity, as we have seen in the past couple weeks, is about the whole person. It's about your spirit. It's about your body. It's about your soul. It's about your mind. And that's why culture's definition of prosperity lacks the depth that the scripture brings because it does not take into account a person's character. It doesn't take into account a person's integrity or even their intentions. All it looks at, it's their financial success. So the person who gained wealth by illegal means, the person who was honest and hardworking and also gained wealth, both those people are called prosperous. There's no different definition according to the world. And I believe it's time for us to gain maturity and clarity on the subject. So that we don't become like those who come to God because they want to get from God. But that we may come to God trusting that if we choose to live God's way, then His will, which is good, perfect, and pleasing, His will will come true in our lives. But as a society, like I said, we seem to be growing more and more indifferent to not only the meaning of prosperity, 
But I believe we've been growing more and more indifferent to how the enemy of our souls works. It's a lot easy to find someone who will deny the existence of God or doubt the existence of God. But it's really hard to find somebody that will doubt the existence of evil. Yet, we have not had maturity and awareness on how evil operates, how evil forces operate in the world. And I believe the enemy of our souls has been working incessantly with the sole purpose of creating confusion, creating arguments, creating belief systems to keep people from God's plan, to keep people from God's will. The Apostle Paul closes his letter to the church of Ephesus with this scripture. He says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, he's saying, hey, as we endeavor to engage life, as we endeavor to progress, as we endeavor to see our life move forward, you will find opposition. Sometimes opposition will be manifested in flesh and blood. Sometimes you're going to look at people and they're going to be your opposition. But remember, your opposition is not flesh nor blood. Your opposition is is in the spiritual realm, evil forces that are scheming to thwart, to block, and to keep you from pros prospering. And I think one of the great awakenings, one of the primary awakenings, a person who decides to live Jesus' way comes to, they realize that we are not just passive agents in life. They realize that we have an active role in the outcomes of our lives. That's the big difference that happens when somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus, they realize that we're not just a collection of atoms, a collection of matter that just came into this world and is pre-programmed to live a certain way, like it's been said by very, very smart people, that we don't even have free will, that free will is a religious concept, but that everything that you think about, you've already thought about before you thought about thinking about that, so there's no changing it see what the world doesn't realize is that we are not single natured but we have two natures one nature yes is animalistic and is pre-programmed by instinct but there is a second nature that comes alive when the life of God enters us and it is this second nature that becomes aware to the fact that we are not passive agents just cruising through earth without any power to change anything. But that we have agency given by God to change the world. And I believe that's what happened to David in the scriptures. David was a young man, probably in his mid-teens, when Israel was in a standoff against the Philistines. 
Now, if you remember the story, there was a giant named Goliath that was taunting the people of Israel, asking Israel to put forth a warrior, to put forth a fighter that could face him, that could fight against him. See, in those times, the rule of war was that if you wanted to preserve your army against other enemies, you could elect one fighter against another fighter, and they would duel together, and whoever won that battle would win the fight for the entire nation and the nations would honor that duel. And so the Philistines put forth Goliath, this giant who was seasoned in war. His breastplate and and his attire alone weighed 120 pounds. That's more than some of you weigh after a 21-day of fasting. (laughs) We're about to change that. And Goliath was a feared warrior. Now here is David, probably in his mid-teens, going back and forth from his father's home to the camp where, the, where his brothers were. His brothers were older. They were fighting in the king's army. But David was taking care of his, of his father, Jesse's sheep. And he was also bringing provisions to his brothers. And as David went back and forth, we don't know how long that journey took, if it took days or weeks or maybe even longer than weeks. But David comes into the camp and he hears Goliath for the first time, who apparently had been taunting the people of Israel for quite some time, asking them, hey, put forth somebody that will fight me, belittling them. And David, something just turns on the inside. You know, when David heard Goliath for the first time, this is what David didn't do. David didn't throw his hands up and said, Oh, if there was a good God in the world, why would he allow for this evil giant to stand against us and come crush us? If there was a good God in the world, why so much evil? Because David understood that people do evil things. That we have been given agency to do good or evil. And every evil atrocity that happens in the world that makes us appalled happened because somebody used their agency to commit atrocity against others. But here's what David did say. Here's what he did realize. He said, who does he think he is? Who does this guy think he is? How does he get off thinking that he can challenge the armies of the Lord? Thinking that he can stand to the armies of the living God. I have killed a bear and a lion who have come for my sheep. How much more do you think God is going to do to a giant that comes against his people? And if you know the story, you know that with a single slingshot, he killed Goliath. He defeated Goliath. And with Goliath's own sword, he took his head as a warrior would in those days. Friends, we're going to face opposition. There will be giants along the way. And the temptation and the, the, the argument of the world is that we ought to blame people or we ought to blame systems. Or even blame God. Or 
we can understand that our fight is not against flesh or blood. That the fight that you are in right now is not against flesh, is not against blood, but it is against principalities and forces in the air and that you serve a God who is able to deliver you. You serve a God who is able to deliver you. That's right. Now the passage of scripture that awakened my heart and my mind to this message series and to this vision for 2024 is found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is writing to the people of Israel. The people of Israel are dejected. They're feeling uh, without answers, really. The enemy had come and the enemy had won. The enemy took them captive into exile. And, and the king of Babylon took him from their land into Babylon. And they can't see how they can have a bright future. And so Jeremiah writes to them because they were behind enemy lines. And this is what God tells them through Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 5 says, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I believe that this is what God is speaking to each and every one of us. That we too will prosper. Now how can we have the will to prosper when things have come against us? When things have turned against us? How can you have the will to prosper when you're behind enemy lines? When you feel like life is not going your way? When you feel like you have tried and you have done certain things but still... You're facing giants like David. Or maybe you find yourself as part of a system that's not for you. A system that doesn't seem just or good to you. Well, I have three steps that I want to share with you today. Three simple things for you to keep in mind that will help you uh, nurture that ability. The first one is this. Discern the enemy's schemes. Discern the enemy's schemes. See, when the enemy fights against you, the enemy plays the long game. Have you noticed that? See, he's not trying to get you divorced tomorrow. The enemy is not trying to get you broke tomorrow. He's not trying to get you to lose your faith and lose your hope tomorrow. The Babylonian strategy was simple. Take the people out of their land, take them out of their customs, out of their homes, and bring them to the Babylonian culture and just let it simmer. Just let them get used to it. Because you don't have to fight an enemy that eventually will become one of you. And so the enemy does the same with us. If he could just get you to compromise, if he could just get you to just loosen up a little bit, if he could just get you to let go of some of your values, let go of some of your principles, let go of some of the things that you hold dear, little by little, you're no longer a threat to him. You're no longer on the opposite side. 
Little by little, you become like one of one of them. And very often, the enemy's plan is like the Babylonian plan. He just wants to encroach a little bit. And then a little more. And then a little more. And then a little more. The enemy encroaches little by little. One little step at a time. Something that becomes evident to me every time we fast is how often we are driven to comfort to satisfy our bodies. Isn't that true? How often all the stuff that surrounds us makes us so earthly minded that we no longer think about the higher things. How often instead of praying about something or facing an issue, we are driven to seek comfort in food and entertainment. This happens to all of us. I mean, this happened to me last week. How many times have you you've, you've felt like, hey, I don't want to deal with this right now. Give me some chips and sauce and guacamole and let me just watch something funny. <laughs> some of you, that was me last night, J.D. Now we know, we know in our heads what to do. We know that, that what we ought to do is say, God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your presence. God, will you give me direction for this situation right now? God, I don't know what to do, but give me wisdom and guidance to face this, to resolve this, to move forward in this situation. According to your will, God, I want clarity. God, I need you in my life. How often I think of my needs and my wants and my comfort instead of being mindful of God. It happens to all of us. See, the enemy's schemes against your marriage, they don't start with infidelity. They start with indifference. Because for most of you, especially if you're in, a, in church on Sunday morning, especially if you're watching or listening, you're not going to fall for that, for something extreme. So the enemy, instead of offering something terrible, he offers something close that you would do. For example, your wife gets ready. She gets dressed nicely, dolled up. She smells good. And she, you know, you see her and you want to shower her with compliments. But then that voice on the inside says, she hasn't complimented you since Christmas 2019. And you remember. So don't, don't, don't say all the things you're thinking about. So you look at her and it goes like, hmm. That's your compliment. Hmm. And the, the enemy's schemes, now there's a voice in her head saying, you did, all, you did all that and that's all you get. See, he doesn't care. And so the enemy says, just do it for you. Forget him. Then do it for him. Do it for you. You go, girl. Do it for you. Do it for you. Look at yourself. Mm, do it for you. See, because the enemy knows that if, if he tells you, do it for another man, you're going to say, no. But do it for you sounds great. Sounds amazing. Just a little bit. A little encroaching. It's the encouragement that never goes that goes unsaid, that is never said. It's the effort that goes unacknowledged. It's the sacrifice that is taken for granted. And little by little, romance, passion, 
and care wanes. Because the devil is not in a hurry. He's not. He's got your whole life to mess you up. It's not the big and irresponsible purchase that's very obvious that gets most of us in financial ruin. It's the extra hundred bucks here, 150 there, that you just slide in, I'll take care of that later. And then as it accumulates and snowballs into thousands of dollars in high interest debt, you get into a place where every single dollar is needed in every single paycheck because you're having to catch up and you feel like you can't catch up anymore and he's got you and when it comes to our faith the enemy has invested time and effort into turning us not into atheists not into satan worshipers see all he needs to for us is to be spiritually numb that's it. It's to just have no life of God in us, have no fire in our souls. It's for you to be a student in middle school and high school who behaves, who speaks, who acts like any other. There's no difference between you and everybody else. To be just as provocative, just as daring, just as thirsty for attention and popularity. To be consumed by the same empty pursuits that your peers are consumed by. To be drawn in by all the drama. I have a daughter in middle school. There's a lot of drama in middle school. See, all the enemy needs for men... It's for them not to lead their home spiritually. He doesn't need you to sin. He, doesn't need, he just needs you to not pray. Just live life with no relationship with God. What he needs is for women to be so preoccupied with everything else that they feel like they are being responsible and handling things so much they have no time for God. See, it's not that they are rejecting God. They are being responsible. To choose busyness over prayer, our phones over scriptures, a lazy morning over being in church on a Sunday. After all, you don't want to burn out. You don't want to burn out, so you deserve the rest. Have you heard that in your head on Sunday morning? You deserve the rest. Let me tell you this. If you're burning out, it ain't three hours on a Sunday morning at 1030 in the morning. Well, three hours for us, right? Maybe we'll go three hours this morning. <laughs> no, I'll go home. You guys can stay. If you're burning out, it's not this. You can cancel your Netflix. Put that money toward the vision offering. Good idea, right? And tell me in three months how, how much more time you have. Just lighting that one in there. <laughs> First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, 6 through 9 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. No, that's the wrong uh, shift right there, buddy. Somebody just turn on all the lights on stage on the side right there, please. Thank you. 
I'm sorry, I'm going to burn up if that stays on. Be, yeah, exactly. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, there's this rule. I don't know if you've heard of this rule. It's a nautical rule. When ships are at sea, there's something called the 1 in 60 rule. And the 1 in 60 rule is very simple. It means this. One degree shift in direction here means you will be a mile off course in 60 nautical miles. One degree. One degree. Is this one degree, Dante? Is this one degree? This right here. Right here. 60 miles will cause you to be a mile off course. And this is typically used as a warning against getting you off course, right? Like, don't compromise. Don't shift. But this is what got me thinking that the same rule applies for when you want to go in a positive direction. See, sometimes we feel like our lives need help, like our relationships need help. Maybe our marriages need help. So you think, man, I got to go on a $5,000 European vacation with my wife because we need some jolt in our marriage. All you need is one degree consistently every day. And months in months, you will see the difference. All you need is to say, tell your spouse, thank you. I love you. I see you every day. Thank you. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for being present. Thank you for being here. I love you. I love who you are. I love your personality. I love how funny you think you are. <laughs> I love how you amuse yourself. I've heard that one. I love you, and I see you. I see your sacrifice. I see what you do for this family. I see what you do for us. I see you today. If you do that every day, you will see a difference. In six months, in a year, your marriage will be in a completely different place. To change your finances, you don't need to... A drastic change. You need to simply decide, I will not buy anything on credit for three years. That's a pretty big thing for some of you. But you just need to decide, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just going to run the play. If you're a student, just decide, I'm not going to live to please my friends. I'm not going to be a people pleaser. I'm going to live to please God. I'm not going to make fun of people. I'm not going to put people down. I'm not going to be a friend, uh, a friend to... I'm going to be a friend to the lonely. I'm going to be a friend to the awkward, to the so-called weird. I'm going to be a friend to the person who is alone in the corner. I'm going to be a friend to everyone. The second thing you can do when you're trying to prosper behind enemy lines. So first is discern the enemy's schemes. The second one is do your part. And friends, this is not magic. 
you know, we think sometimes, like, how can we prosper? How, do we need, like, some godly magic fairy dust to come upon, upon us to change the course of our lives? That's not what causes us to prosper. What causes you to prosper is work, diligence, hard work, taking steps of faith. Here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse uh, chapter 11, verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. See, some people ask me when they're trying to move forward in life. Say, I don't know what to do right now, so I'm just in the waiting season. I don't know what I should go for, if I should apply for this job or that one. So I'm just going to wait. And I say, knock on every door, sow every seed, make every contact, try everything. Work hard, be teachable, keep going, keep trying, because you don't know what's going to work. That's what Scripture says. See, in my life, at the age of 11 years old, I was told by prophecy that I would be a pastor person that didn't know my life grabbed my hand in the middle of a service and started speaking about how I was going to go beyond our borders and fly with wings of steel. He could have just said airplane, but it was poetic. To minister. And you know, I confirmed like I felt the call of God in my life and I knew that I was going to do something in ministry because I believe this is the best way to help people. I believe there's nothing like the church to help people from birth till they pass on to the eternal life. There's no other institution that can take care of the family, take care of the person, and restore them and bring health from the inside out. I love the church. But since then, I've been a carpenter's assistant. I've been a Chinese food delivery driver, a musical instrument sales clerk. I've been an events planner, an IT consultant. And all that while studying and learning and serving in the church, I've done everything. I've done cameras and sound. And there was no drummer in our church one day. And I was like, I can try to do that. And took a few months, but I got it. And then the keyboard player quit. And I was like, I'm going to do that too. And then it took a few but I got it. And then the worship leader quit. And I was like, I, I think I can sing. And discovered I could sing at 15 years old. And so <laughs> that's how, you know, is there an opportunity? I'll go knock on that door. I'll go see that happen. And in every way, God has called me to, caused me to prosper. And you might be thinking today, man, I'm not where I should be. So God, just get me out of here. And that thought is tempting. I've been there. I've thought that. But it's not biblical. It's tempting, but it's not biblical. Here's what scripture says, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. In other words, we have an opportunity. As long as there's breath in our lungs and strength in our bones, let's work and let's do great things. Let's do our best with what we have in our hands. Instead of saying, God, get me out of here, the question should be, Am I doing my very best? Am I honoring the breath that's in my lungs right now? Am I honoring the strength that's in my hands right now? And my conviction is this. God has already determined that you are blessed. God has already determined that you're going to prosper. So you might as well do your best where you are now so that you can continue to develop in relationships, continue to, to grow your circle so that God can take you into the place that he's leading you to as long as you do your part. 
We got to do our part. Number three, and last point to prosper behind enemy lines is the understanding that to prosper is to overcome. To prosper is to overcome. To have a prosperous life doesn't mean that we're going to have absolutely no downsides. See, many of the great lessons and breakthroughs come in those moments we too often consider failures. But the truth is, those are moments of learning, of growth. And David, if you're here, uh, this is, it would be a great time for you to come and bless us with your, with your talent and anointing, tickling the ivory. I remember when uh, our friends Dan and Jackie DePaula told us that Dan was going to launch his own business. And it was an exciting time. Dan had been a successful general contractor for multiple firms and he had worked in the greater New York area and he was leading project after project in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Westchester County. He was all over the place. And so God gave him a vision. And to take the step of faith was going to, was going to be challenging. Exciting but challenging. But the vision was clear. It was in Luke chapter 14, 28, where Jesus talks about the wise builder who's not the man who simply knows how to start well, but it's the, the person who knows how to finish well. And that was the vision to build things well. And he sent he sent me logos and mock-ups and website designs and it was a daunting reality to go on on his own. And, and so he launched his business. We had already launched the church. And the business took off. And anyone who knows Dan knows that he's a hardworking man. He's like the Energizer Bunny, man. He never stops. And so Dan is always in good spirits, always smiling, always moving forward. And about a year or two into the business, things took a difficult turn. I remember him telling me about this project that was coming up. It was going to be a big project in New Jersey, and it was going to be very profitable, and he's going to take a lot of his resources and a lot of his people, but it was going to pay out later on. And, and, but somewhere along the way, the person he was dealing with was dishonest, and the project became a big failure. And Dan was left not only with the cost of the materials, but also the cost of, of labor for his company, his brand new company to pay for. And it was tough because it got him in a very, very difficult position. He lost a lot of money. And not too long after that, there was another job that something sim similar happened. And it cost him handsomely causing him to consider bankruptcy in his business. And I remember it was a couple years, a couple, a couple weeks before Christmas. And if you know Dan, he leads worship with such a heart. And he's always ready to minister to you. And 
to sing and he's always alive and joyful, but he was, he was sitting on the stage before service. It was about 10 minutes before service, just playing some chords and trying to muster up the spirit and the heart to minister to you, to lead you into God's presence, but knowing that in his heart, he was going through this situation that was daunting. He didn't know if he was going to go under. And we had been talking, so I saw him from the back of the stage, the, the auditorium, and I knew what was going on in his head. I knew what he was facing because he, Dan was a brand new dad, two little beautiful girls. And Dan didn't have a great dad. He didn't have a father who was present. And if you know Dan and Jackie, their prize and their joy is to give their daughters a blessed childhood. And I could see in his eyes the worry, the wondering, the questions. Am I going to survive this? Am I going to be able to give my daughters a good Christmas? Am I going to get out of this one? Am I going to be like the builder who started well but didn't? God, you gave me a vision. I was blindsided. What, what, what can I do? I, I didn't know this was going to happen. I encouraged him the best I could. I put my hands on his shoulder, prayed in my heart. And, and Dan learned a lesson that day. He learned a lesson in that season that to prosper is to overcome. And to prosper doesn't mean to be up all the time. But it's to overcome when things get difficult. Here's what Dan did. Dan never stopped worshiping. He never stopped leading you into God's presence. He never stopped serving. He never stopped doing what God called him to do. Now here's the, here's the beauty of the story. The following Christmas, Dan and Jackie were not only restored, but they were writing anonymous checks to families in need. So they could bless their Christmas. Make sure that people who were facing the difficulty that they were facing their year prior had some relief. Friends, we're called to live differently. Some of you came to this country because you or your parents were searching for a better life. And you feel like the exiles in that scripture. A little off. A little, a little like you're not fully certain of what you're supposed to do. Some of you even feel like you're not fully the stature of someone who belongs here. And I believe God's word for you and for me is the same today. Build houses. Plant roots. Put roots down. Make your home here. Raise sons. Raise daughters. Be part of the fabric of the community. See, you didn't come to get. You came to give. You came to bless. You came to bring God's presence to this country, to this community. You came to be a blessing. God brought you here to be a blessing, to use your gifts and talents to restore communities for His good. So pray for the community to prosper. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. Some of you, you were brought up here. You have deep roots in this area. 
And you're still wondering, what is my part? Because all of us in some way feel like exiles, like we're not fully in. And you're thinking, what should I do? Well, the word is for you too. Pray for the prosperity of this community. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about deliverance from addiction. I'm talking about freedom from violence. I'm talking about healthy marriage, marriages. I'm talking about young girls not feeling like they're objects. I'm talking about young girls being raised without being violated. I'm talking about young men growing up without being demonized. I'm talking about being an instrument in God's hand to bless, to heal, to restore our communities, and to restore people around us. That's true prosperity. That's true prosperity. Prosperity is responsibility. It's understanding that what we, we have been given is so that we can bless the world around us. Prosperity is loving what God loves and using our resources to see God's will flourish. So remember, to prosper behind enemy lines, we must first open our eyes to discern the enemy's schemes, to put away all the distractions, we need to do our part to work and be diligent to move forward. And finally, when things get difficult, remember that to prosper is to overcome, to keep the faith and to keep going. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.